You were made for this. Every one of us are made for relationships. Today, I am specifically talking toward marriages. Uh, If any of you or any of us are going to grow in a relationship and the relationship is going to be healthy in any form or fashion, there must be a crucifixion that happens within your relationships. All relationships are tested. I don't care what they are, and there needs to be a crucifixion. As a couple, you were made for this. You were made to have a crucified marriage. You're like, J.O., what in the world is that? Well, we're going to talk about the day. I called it the crux because the crux, crux means the most, def, this, the, the, the most important decision in a point of an issue. Whatever, what is, the, what is the decisive most important point in an issue? Well, the most important point in an issue that I promise that will cause your marriage to be 100% successful, and this is not a TV show commercial, is a crucifixion in your marriage. Three major steps in a successful marriage is crucifixion to self, crucifixion to your rights, and crucifixion to your selfishness. We're going to dive in that. You were made for this. A successful marriage is a crucified marriage. We're going to unfold that today so you grasp that. Radine and I have been married over 32 years. We've learned that if you're going to have a healthy, successful marriage, you have to die. There has to be a crucifixion. To the degree that you're willing to crucify your marriage, and I'm not talking about this. I'm not talking about crucifying one another. J.O., you know, J.O. told me to crucify you, lady. (laughs) Oh, get up there on that cross right there, man. I'm supposed to crucify you. Now, that's what we want to do in the midst of a fight. That's not what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about Dying to self, one, one to another, putting the other person ahead of you, their rights, their desires, to the degree that you're willing to crucify your marriage will be to the degree that your marriage will be successful. Because you got to remember what comes after a crucifixion. It could sound like a real deadly sermon today, but I want to remind you what comes after a crucifixion is what? What is it? Somebody say this, resurrection power. Resurrection power. You want resurrection power in your marriage and you want life in your marriage, but you won't have those until it has been faced with crucifixion. Now, today, your flesh will not like this message. And definitely your little whiny inner child will not like this message. But if you listen to it and you apply it to relationships and your marriage, I promise you, your marriage will live and it will thrive. How many of you want to live in and thriving marriage? Okay, remember that you said that. I first have to begin with defining a marriage. Now, that's kind of strange that I have to do that these days. But everybody's out there trying to define marriage, and where I go straight to is the Bible and what is a marriage. A marriage is between a man and a woman, holy matrimony, a holy union. 
young people, if you think it's all the other things that you hear on social media and on the news and on, I got news for you. Listen to me real good because I bring it straight from God. I bring it straight from the creator, the maker of marriage. Marriage is not between a man and a man. Amen. Marriage is not between a woman and a woman. Out of all due respect, I love you. If you're in this area, you're a lesbian or what have you, doesn't mean I don't love you. I'm just telling you the absolute truth in love, what marriage is. Marriage is between a man and a woman. Straight from Jesus, the creator, creator, the God who is love, that wants you to experience love and peace and joy, not what the media, not what the culture says, I will not pander to what the culture says because the culture is trying to destroy the identity of marriage, the identity, your personal identity. Your identity as a male or a female, a husband or a wife, the identity of your children is trying to destroy that, trying to redefine what marriage and what a man and a woman is, I got news for you. All we got to do is look at the Bible because what is the enemy trying to do? Here's the ultimate. This is the ultimate purpose of the enemy. The enemy's trying to destroy the identity of family. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy family. And man, you got to have some backbone to stand up against those lies. He comes to lie. He's the liar and he's the father of lies. How many of you know that? This is what the Bible says. You don't have to believe what J.O. says. This is what the Bible says. Genesis 1, 27 through 28. If you have your Bible, turn there because it's not going to be on the sky Bible. Genesis 1, 27 through 28. It's good to see it with your own eyes. Read it with it. Outline it. Highlight it. Memorize it. Circle it. Jail don't, I don't write in my Bible. Get rid of that one. Get one that you'll write in. Man, you want your Bible all. You want it to just be filled with notes, what God's speaking to you. Genesis 1, 27 through 28. So God created man. That's a good thing right there. You want to know where you came from? God. In his own image. Nothing else was made in his image other than you and I. What a privilege. What an honor. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them. If you want to be blessed, walk in the ways of God. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. My, my kids are working on that right now. Fill the earth and subdue it. Amen. JoJo's on the front. Jameson was here this morning. Got two right there in the, in the bread basket right there, just cooking up in the oven. In the oven. Huh, gee. Twins. Working on it. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. He blesses them. And listen, and he tells them to be fruitful and multiply. How are you fruitful and multiply? A man and a woman. Even when Jesus talks about divorce and he speaks of Moses giving a certificate of divorce, guess who he speaks of? A man and a woman. 
Are you following me? Strange that I have to take so much of a sermon to identify what a marriage is, but you need to know that because when you start thinking otherwise and lies start sipping in there, it's, it's not good. Two become one. It's a mystery when people get married, the two become one. I, I think I have a little secret within the mystery because one person and one person, they come together, they die to one another, and then all of a sudden, those two become one, and now they are a one powerful, awesome union, marriage, holy matrimony, holy union of two becoming one. A loving, powerful thing. Now, you may say, J.O., you talk a lot about death and crucifixion. Is what you're talking about, is it Bible? You better believe it's his Bible because it's absolutely the gospel, and you'll see it throughout the Bible. Listen to what it says in Galatians 2.20. Paul says this, I've been crucified with Christ. Wow. How many of you know he's not just talking about him? This is, called, this is a call for me and you. You as an individual. You as a believer. You as a married couple. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. There you go. You can tell if there is a lot of Living husbands and wives in a marriage. Because if they're alive, they're bickering and fussing and trying to get their own selfish way. Paul says this. He says, I no longer, uh, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And now the life, now I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 5.24, listen to this. And those who belong, how many belong to Christ? Raise your right hand. Good, 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 good. Those who belong to Christ, Jesus has, look, look what they've done. They've crucified the flesh and his passion and desires. You don't hear a lot about a lot of crucifixion and death in church these days, but this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You and I should walk in resurrection power because we've died to self. What is that? It says, it says, crucified the flesh. What is the flesh? The flesh is our carnality. Anybody know what carnality is? Does anybody have carnality? Just raise your hand. Everybody else is lying. <laughs> There's not a person in this room that's not carnal to some degree. We won't have heaven until we get to heaven. T.D. Jake says this. It takes 30 minutes to have a wedding. It takes 30 years to have a marriage. We've been married 32 years, and I'm just getting to know my wife a little bit. No, I know her a lot more than a little bit. But the average, the average marriage in America lasts eight years eight years. You have no clue who he is in eight years. You don't know who she is in eight years. You have no clue who that person is in eight years. You're not even scratching the surface in eight years. So you got to get past eight years to really get to know someone. Why do marriages only last eight years in America? Because Somebody wants to get married, but nobody wants to die. 
Everybody wants a wife, but nobody wants to die to their life. Everybody wants to live happy ever after, but nobody wants to crucify their life. And I can tell you right now, listen to me real good. Here's the key to a successful marriage. You ready? Do I have your best ear? Here's your best. I I need your very best ear. Here's a secret. I don't care. You go to counseling 22 years. You got to hear this. The successful marriage, it comes from two dead people. Two dead people get along awesome. Two dead people get along amazing. No longer are they bickering about their own rights. No longer are they whining about their own way. Two dead people have an amazing marriage because they also experience resurrection power. Two dead people. That's If you don't walk away from anything else today, remember, two dead. I'm not talking about you crucifying your wife or your husband. I'm talking about a person choosing to die, choosing to get up on the cross, dying to self. Two dead people get along. Awesome. Well, today, I'm going to finish out this sermon by going over seven things that you must die to if you're going to have a successful marriage. You have to crucify these areas in your life. The very first one that you have to crucify is the tongue. Say that with me, the tongue. I'm not talking about putting a little ring out here. I'm not talking about putting a little diamond in it. I'm talking about a real crucifixion to your nasty little tongue. I'm not the only one that causes it nasty. It's all over the Bible. The Bible says there's life and death in it. Talks about it being poisonous, fire, torch, all these things your tongue can do to destroy your marriage and relationship. That's why today, this is not just about marriages. Of course, I'm I'm, I'm specifically talking toward marriages, but I tell you what, you can destroy any relationship with that that little thing that lies between your teeth that's full of venom. Listen to what the Bible says, James James 3, 5 through 6. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining, look, the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. And set on fire, look, 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 by hell. Your tongue can burn, torch, and destroy your marriage. And I'm not talking about typically it's not an overnight thing. All of a sudden it's just like burned up overnight. No, it's little by little. Your tongue will bring life to something day by day or bring death to something day by day. And in this specific situation, I am talking about your marriage. The other night I was watching Family Feud. Uh, That might um, surprise you. It happens to be my favorite show on TV. And I was amazed that, you know, they asked the question, who typically does not encourage you? And one of the answers, I couldn't believe it. It was the spouse. 
Who typically does not encourage you? One, like out of four or six answers, the spouse. I'm like, this is crazy. This is ridiculous. I want to throw my shoe through this. Your spouse should be the most encouraging, cheering you up, building you up. Men, you need to open up your mouth in a good way. Build up your wife, cheer up your wife, encourage her up. Come on, that's what we're called to do as a spouse, no matter who you are, husband or wife. Oh, Jay, I just don't, you know, I'm not a big talker. Well, become a big talker. Jay, I've been married four years. That's very awkward for me. Keep doing it, and the awkwardness will go away. It gets easier and easier when you make a choice to cheer on, to build up, to encourage your wife or your husband. You just keep doing it because... An uncrucified tongue. A manipulating tongue. One that twists. One that brings pain and, 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 and hurt and suffering and, and, and torment. You don't want, you, you can't, I tell you what, I, I, I kind of camp out on the tongue because it's probably the most toughest thing to crucify. The Bible says you can't tame it. And it's probably the biggest killer amongst marriages is your tongue and your words. But it can be a big builder. It can be a big encourager. You need to forget about all the personality tests that you take and just go, oh, that's just who I am. I'm a number this and I just don't talk much and I'm not a big encourager. You need to change that stinking craziness. Because you need to choose to be an encourager to your wife. I know it might not. I know it may go against your grain and it may be tough, but you need to do it because that's what we're called. You need to choose it every day because that's an unruly little evil right there. Full of poison, the Bible says. Strychnine, you can poison and destroy and burn up your marriage with your tongue. Bible talks about it, fresh and salt water coming out of the same place, and it shouldn't do that. All about the tongue. You want to read about the tongue? Just read Proverbs and read James. And today, we're going to crucify that tongue. (laughs) Crucify that tongue right there, man. This is what we all need to do right here, yo. You want to see if it's a real tongue? Just come here and feel it. It's a real tongue. It's bloody and dripping everywhere. Just like a good crucified tongue should be. You know something about this tongue? You know what happens is that our tongue, a lot of times, it gets real sharp. We'll get a little sharp tongue, just cutting people. We're going to circumcise this tongue today. You ever heard of a sharp tongue? Just absolutely ripping people up? You know, the Bible talks about circumcision in more ways than one. We're to have a circumcised heart. Today, I think you should have a circumcised tongue because you can't allow your tongue to do whatever it wants to do. I could probably just continue to preach on this one point of crucifixion, but I promise you, this is the biggest point that needs to be crucified in our life. It's okay, Jojo. Poppy scare you. It's okay. 
He's like, I got to get away from Poppy. Wow. Tongues are slimy too. They hate to be crucified. Next thing that needs to be crucified, I'm going to hang out just for a moment, is your flesh. I already mentioned it a little bit, is our carnality. You have to die to self every day. Pick up your cross every day in the area of relationships and marriages. Listen to the definition of selfishness, because this is what it's all about, is dying to ourself, dying to selfishness. Listen to the definition of selfishness. The quality or condition of being selfish. <laughs> An act of pure selfishness. <laughs> A concern of one's own welfare or advantage at the expense or disregard of others. If you're doing that towards your spouse, I got news for you. You need to stop. Die to it. Excessive interest in oneself. You know how you get, to, you get rid of that selfishness? You crucify it. Die to it. Make that person, make your spouse, make a friend more important than you. The Bible says in Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice. It's so strange that the, the Bible will use living sacrifice, because usually a sacrifice is what? Usually it's dead. So what does that mean if you're going to be a living sacrifice? you got to die every day. you got to get up on that cross. That tongue wants to get right off that cross. As soon as you get in a heated argument, guess what it wants to do? It wants to come fully alive. Start cussing out your, your, your spouse. Death to selfishness. Number three, here's a bad attitude and an attitude that is uncrucified. It's my way or the highway. That attitude is an uncrucified attitude, a bad attitude, and that attitude is not Christ-like. That attitude, you need, to you need to switch that around, just simply switch it around. Hey, sweetheart, let's let it be your way. Honey, let it be your way. Turning these circumstances around, everyday little circumstances, you know, it could be, where are you going to go eat right now? Where are you going to eat after church? She wants to go here. He wants to go there. All of a sudden, somebody die. Somebody just die. Then there's no decision. Sweetheart, we're going to go wherever you want to go. Come on, somebody. This my way or the highway attitude does not work in a marriage. Guess what you have to do with it? Ooh, there's a little piece of tongue right there. Wow, that's nasty. My way or the highway. Crucify it. Number four. Here's a big one. Whew. Really impacts people. Addictions. Addictions can come in all kinds of fashions and forms. Addictions that get between you and your husband and your children, relationships and your boss can absolutely destroy 
relationships. Are you dealing with an addiction today that needs to be crucified? Sometimes the best way to deal with uh, an addiction is not counseling it for 22 years, but cold turkey, crucify that addiction. Listen to this scripture, what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 6, 12. You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. I remember when Logan preached, this is a strange little addiction, but he preached and he was talking about social media, that the average person looks at their phone 2,600 times a day. If you're on your phone and your sweet wife is trying to talk to you and all you're doing is gazing at that stupid iPhone, I'd say crucify that iPhone. If you're on a, on a laptop all the time and you're pulling up stuff on that laptop that you should never see, you would never look at it if you knew God was in the room and he's in the room. Or your wife looking over your shoulder, but God's looking over your shoulder. But you're like, oh, that laptop costs $3,200. You know what you need to do? Crucify it. It's easy to crucify this one, but how about yours? Boom. Bye-bye, Mac. Is your marriage worth worth a Mac? I, I got a shirt that says porn kills love and I, I don't even know if I remember I have it on at the airport. This woman walks right up to me. She goes, that's exactly what happened to me. I'm like, yeah, porn killed love, love in her marriage or in relationship. But it doesn't have to be porn. It could be all kinds of different things. What is it? What addiction are you dealing with? Maybe, maybe it's something that as, as comes as big as this or, or as little as this right here. Well, you know, I I hurt myself 25 years ago, but I'm still on painkillers. And no one's told you this, but you act weird on painkillers. And as long as you're taking them, I can almost guarantee you, you're going to still have pain. I've worked with people coming off of painkillers. I worked with a guy who had a really bad neck, uh, back injury. And man, he was an amazing nurse. And even when he was... Dealing with people who were dying of cancer, he would steal their painkillers. He would steal even injectables because he was addicted, right? You, you have to sometimes just say, no, I'm, 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 this is it. This is my day. This is a day of crucifixion, and I am going to die to this thing that is in, impacting me and impacting my marriage. Come on, somebody say crucifixion. Whatever it may be, it could be cocaine, fentanyl. I asked a dude the other day, why, why fentanyl? He goes, well, because it works and it's cheap. But you're also risking your life. Do you constantly hear of people ODing on fentanyl, all different colors? You don't know what you're getting. Come on, young people. Don't be doing that stuff. Walk out of it. Crucify it today. Don't ever stink and do it again. And whatever you're addicted to, you need to crucify it today. Addiction will destroy your life. I'm talking about addiction that is harmful addictions. Amen? I'm almost through. Somebody say strongholds. Strongholds. 
We talk about strongholds. We sing about strongholds. Break every stronghold. Shine in the shadows. Burn like a fire. What is a stronghold? What's a stronghold? A stronghold is a house of thoughts. You've thought wrong so long that you've built a house of thoughts in your mind. Here comes this thought, this thought, this thought, this thought, this thought. And now you have a house of thoughts that's built up in your mind. It doesn't let anything good in and it doesn't let anything bad out. And you have a wrong mindset. And it's called a stronghold because it is a stronghold. It's like having a chain wrapped around your brain and wrapped around your neck and you can't escape. You're stuck. God can come with the power of his Holy Spirit and break off strongholds. He can come with the power of his word and renew your mind. He can come through godly counsel and pull down strongholds. He can come lay hands on you in his presence, his fullness of joy. There's many ways that he can chip away and dismantle this stronghold in your life, but you need to deal with strongholds. Strongholds can look a 100,000 different ways. All of a sudden, you think that you're married to your mama. and You start treating your wife like your mama. Oh, I just need you to fix my clothes and do my dishes and you know I want you to be like my mama that can be some weird wrong thinking my grandmother who raised me she always washed our clothes every day as soon as I uh, dirtied a towel she'd wash it the same day there was nothing in our house that wasn't squeaky clean are you feeling me and so but if I put that on my wife I want you to be like my grandmother I want you to do like nanny man that is some crazy thinking right there Hey, dude, if you want to clean the corners in the bathroom or the kitchen, then get your butt up and clean the corners of the bathroom and the kitchen. But don't put it on your wife or acting like your husband is your daddy. Well, I always wanted a daddy. Well, that doesn't mean that you should marry your daddy. There's all kinds of weird strongholds. I don't know what yours is, but... It's wrong patterns of thinking. It could be a hundred of them. But God wants us to think right. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind according to his word and his ways. Amen? Strongholds will bury you. You need to, if you identify a stronghold, I've dealt with strongholds in my life. If you don't know what a stronghold is, but you know that you just think weird Go to an awesome godly council. Get prayer. Get the word of God out. Let the washing of the word renew your mind. Come on. Do something about it. But don't allow strongholds to destroy your marriage. I keep looking at this little chip of a tongue up here and it's nasty. Strongholds. You know what a stronghold can come through? Stronghold can come through trauma. It can come through rejection, some drama that you've been through, abandonment. It can come through if you're dabbling in witchcraft, eight ball, Ouija boards, all that. I can't even say it in church, but you need to get rid of it. You 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 know how they dealt with it in Acts? Is that they burnt it. Say that with me, burn it. Tell your neighbor right now, burn it. Quit playing with it. Burn it. 
Let me, let me read it to you right now, what they did in Acts 19, 19. Check this out. All kinds of witches and warlocks came out of the woodwork with their books of spells and incantations and made a huge bonfire of them. Someone estimated their worth at 50,000 silver coins. You know what a bonfire is? A bonfire is a crucifixion. You just burn that stuff up. Get it out of your house. If that stuff was in my house, I'm going to dig out of the basement and do whatever I need to do. You got a little niece looking at that stuff. You got a friend looking. Oh, it's not, it's not harmful. Yeah, it is. It will destroy your life. Burn it. Tell your neighbor right now, burn it. Oh, tell him with conviction. Burn it. I remember Paul had a witch following him. These are men of the most high God. These are men of the most high God. These, he about drove him crazy. You know what he did? He turned around, looked at her, cast that demon out of her. He got put in prison for it, but then a miracle took place. Number six. Oh, let me, let me put this one up. Let me. Your Witchcraft Weekly magazine. Got nice blood on it right there. Here's my next one. I'm almost through. Number six, unforgiveness. We're to forgive people, and we're forgiving from our heart. Forgive from your heart. This is what the Bible says in Rome, uh, Matthew 18, 21 through 22. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often... Will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Just like a man, he says, as many as seven times. <laughs> that's just like a dude. I'm going to count them off. Don, six, that's it. Cut you off. Jesus said to him, I do not say uh, to seven times, but 77 times. And if you read some translations, it says 70 times seven. First of all, in forgiveness, you don't keep score don't keep score. Second of all, keep short accounts. Say that with me, short accounts. What does that mean in short accounts? That means if, can I use you, Thor and Megan, for a minute? That means if Megan messes up this morning, then you forgive her. She messes up at noon, you forgive her. You, she messes up in the evening, you forgive her. You keep short accounts, short accounts. You don't let them grow and go, oh, Megan, remember Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and all the stuff you've done. No, you keep short accounts. Somebody say short accounts. Thank you. They're my good friends and I can use them. Keeping score means that you are alive. And you know what you need to do? You need to die. Fight fair. One of the best things that you can do when it comes to forgiveness is let it go. Just let it go. Forgive from your heart in our house. This occasionally I'll say, honey, would you, f you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But usually our typical practice in the Owens house is this. Jamie, would you please forgive daddy? Honey, would you please forgive me? I jacked that up. Would you please forgive me? And then it puts it into their hands and they make the decision if they are going to forgive. But I did what I was supposed to do. Instead of just flippantly going, uh, hey, Marty, just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Marty. Revenge, you know what you need to do with revenge? 
crucify. Go with me, you guys. Revenge. What should you do with revenge? What should you should do with payback? I'm just going to pay you back. I remember that, sweetheart. Everyone say crucify. Right. Crucify. My last one. Well, let me get that one out, though. I'm going to nail both of these out because I'm going to talk about both of these. Everyone say forgive. How many times? Oh, somebody said 70 times seven. Don't you keep no score. You'll be counting them up. Here's my last one. This generation, you need a good dose of this. Honoring your parents, honoring those older than you, honoring those younger than you. Honor, honor. Listen, here's for free. Honor will take you places that a college degree can't spell. I don't care. You get a mass doctors and you're a jerk. I don't want you working for me. Honor. We're not to dishonor our spouses. You need to crucify dishonor. Let me read a powerful scripture and what it ties into. Hebrews 13, 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Say that honor. Marriage should be honorable. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Here's the definition of honor. Precious, dear, costly, esteemed. I want to honor my wife. One of the greatest ways that you can dishonor your wife, the bed, your husband, is in the area of sexual immorality and adultery. Sexual immorality will rot your marriage. If you're involved in it today, you need to get out of it today. You need to come, I would say, to the altar. Come to the cross. Do whatever you need to do. Get up, confess it. Turn from it. It will rot you. How do you know it will rot? Ask David. People that's never been to church ever in their life, they know David and Bathsheba. They've heard of David and Bathsheba. They've heard of David and Bathsheba. Because what did David do? David messed it up. He covered it up. And then he tried to clean it up. And time went by. And he's like, <laughs> oh, nobody saw that. I'm good. Oh, but one saw it. And it was God. And the prophet came and busted David. And I'm going to tell you, sexual morality impacted David's family. Ask Absalom, ask Ammonon, ask the kid that died. Sexual immorality, you need to flee. That's what Paul told Timothy. Flee youthful lust. It will rot out your marriage. Don't dishonor your spouse. Honor your husband. Honor your wife. And young people, I know you're not married but you can take all these to practice in relationships that you're in right now and with your future spouse. You can have a blessed marriage. 
don't be part of the average eight years. <laughs> no, you can have an amazing, awesome marriage. Here's the key to an awesome marriage. Two dead people get along great. Die to self. Live to Christ. Put your selfishness down.